Uh, Pastor Terry, uh, some of you know, so instrumental in my spiritual life. Uh, he took me in as a young uh, 18, 18 year old punk <laughs> and uh, just welcomed me in and, and was uh, foundational in my formation uh, of coming to Christ. So, uh, how you guys doing? All right. Are you glad to be in the house? Awesome, awesome. We're in this series called Non-Negotiables, and I just want to welcome everyone. I'm Pastor Jake. If you're joining us online, we want to welcome you as well. Uh, we're going to kind of break down what we believe, well, what we're uh, explaining is these non-negotiables, these things that, that God says or that we feel like the scriptures tell us, these you can't take off the table. These are these you have to live with. These are, these are issues that you, we have to uh, confront or live, uh, be a part of or practice. And, and so I want to ask you a question. Are you ready? Yes. Let's say tonight you're lying in bed and God shows up. <laughs> I mean, right there, right in front of you and says, how you doing? And you say, I'm a little shocked, right? We go through that whole weirdness there. But he gets to this point and goes, I'm here today for one reason. And he pulls out a purple shirt. And you go, okay. And, and he goes, this is what I'm asking you to do. If, if God showed up at your room tonight and said, I want you to wear this purple shirt for the rest of your life, what would you respond? How would you respond to God showing up saying, I want you to wear this purple. Hey, purple's not my color, God. Like, can we do a different color? Would you ask questions? Some might, maybe. Would you just say yes, or would you just say no? One of the things that we're going to learn today is that 40% of believers today consider what David Kinahan in his book Lost Use calls a nomad group. 40% of believers today call themselves a Christian, but don't go to church on a regular basis. 40% of believers today say that they follow Christ, but what we're learning more and more <laughs> is that when confronted with a question, as silly as it may be, will you wear this purple shirt just because I say so, 40% of people today, believers, would more than likely say, no way. Why is it that some of us would say yes right away, and some of us today say, I don't know. Can I get some more information? Can we talk about the logistics of this? What is the difference between that? And I think it comes back to this non-negotiable that we're going to go through. So if you will, we're going to read together, if you'll join me, our text for, uh, for today. Uh, just like Jesus would have started and ended his day by saying of the Shema with his disciples. Let's read it today. It's our focus text. Uh, it's found from several scriptures. Go ahead and give us that first one. Would you read it with me together? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Jesus is giving this really difficult conversation. How many of you know, can we just be honest that there is, in comparison, there's nothing like following Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen. Nothing. But can we just be honest? Following Jesus is difficult sometimes, right? I mean, let's just be real. He doesn't just say it's going to be rainbows and unicorns the rest of our lives. There are some difficult things that we're faced with. 
at, at times. And so he's giving this hard teaching to these disciples and literally thousands of people are leaving. And this is our next scripture. Would you read this with me together? Go ahead, John chapter six, uh, verse uh, 66, it says this. Come on, read it with me. From this time, many of his disciples left and quit walking with him. So Yeshua said to the 12, you don't want to leave also, do you? Jesus confronts the disciples, are, are you going to leave too? Is this too difficult? Let's talk about that. Let's unpack that today. Would you pray with me? God, as we dig into your scriptures, it's like a jewel. And as we twist it and we turn it, God, we find new truths and you expose new light to us. And we're so grateful that you do that today. And God, as we look at sometimes what may seem as a difficult thing and in just obeying, in just trusting God, in having faith, God, would you spread our wings a little bit today? May we hear your voice and may we respond in good soil. In your name we pray, everyone said, amen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And the earth was without form, was, it was void. And it says this, uh, the, the, the most reverent name of God there that we get at the beginning, it looks like this. Oh yeah. And, and what that translates to in English would look like this. Yahweh. Everyone say Yahweh. Now we're going to come back to this in a couple hours. <laughs> and God spoke into the chaos. He spoke into the darkness. Do you remember this? And it says that at the beginning, before he spoke, that the, the spirit hovered over the darkness. So right at the beginning, we know that the spirit was present there with Yahweh. And it says then that God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. So at the very beginning, we also have the word. God speaks. It's one of the most powerful things in the universe. How do we know that? Because universes, planets, stars are still being formed today that we know of. Why? Because God never told it to stop. <laughs> God's word is so powerful. And, and here we're told at the very beginning that above the chaos, above the darkness, we have the spirit, the father. And in John chapter one, we're told that in the beginning was the word and the word was God. It was Jesus Christ. So anyone that tells you, oh, Old Testament, New Testament, New Testament's Jesus, nuh-uh. God the Father, God the Son, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit were all at work. In fact, the word is bara. Everyone say bara. It means creation. And they went to work. And what we find is that God begins creation in this almost method. He begins by separating light and darkness, right? And then he separates the land from, from the water, Right, And then he goes even further by, by separating the sea. And then he goes into this next day where he creates the sun, the stars, and the moon. It's, it's almost as if he starts with the basic construction. He needs to separate light from darkness so that on day four, 
he can actually put the sun, the moon, and the stars. Does this make sense? So God is almost creating this layer of, uh, let's say, action, if you will. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) hair on fire there. So uh, it's almost like this action is created, this first layer, so that there can be another reaction. Yes, don't you love my artistic skills? Does this make sense? And we see this all throughout scripture. In fact, we even see this in science later. Isaac Newton would give this a name, the third law of motion, right? For every action, there's a reaction, right? And so God, in the first couple days, is almost setting the stage, setting the scene for a miracle, for an opportunity to happen in that same stage. Does this make sense? Are you following me? So on day six, God creates something pretty miraculous. He creates mankind and he gives them dreadlocks. (laughs) And he creates Adam, Hebrew for, for man. And this right here is the tension that we live in, isn't it? Man and his creator, can it work? Can it work together? Can it be relational? Like, how does this work? How does it coexist, man and his creator? Will man think he is creator at some point and usurp him? Here lives the tension. And here's why I think we see some of this 40% of people that walk away. Because despite some of the facts, despite even some of the science that we know proves creation and Christ and God and his existence, despite that, people are still walking away. Why? What is that? This tension we live in all the time, don't we? We struggle with it. And, and, and this is not new in the narrative of the scriptures, right? It's not new at all. In fact, Jesus speaks into the root of why this happens. Uh, let's go ahead and look at it. It's in uh, Mark chapter 4, yes. And, and this is uh, what you'll come to find out as a foundational parable. What does that mean? It means uh, when you understand this parable, this illustration that Jesus is giving, it will actually unlock other parables that he gives. Does that make sense? So you could still at face value find some uh, you know, value within each parable, but when you understand this foundational one, it unlocks these, his other teachings even further. And here's what it says. Again, Yeshua, Jesus, he began to teach by the sea. <clears throat> and a large crowd gathered around him, which was typical. So we got into a boat on the sea and sat down. And the crowd was by the sea on the land. And he began teaching them many things by parables, right? Illustrations that represent a truth. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower, a farmer, he went out to spread some seed. And it happened that as he sowed, some fell beside the road and the birds came and they ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil. So it sprang up immediately because the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, 
it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew and choked it, and it yielded no crop. And others fell into the good soil and were producing fruit, springing up and increasing. They yielded a crop, producing 30, 60, and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, when Jesus was alone, when Yeshua was alone, these, those around him with the 12, they started asking him about the parables. And, and this is what he told about them. He said, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. So he's, he's laying the foundation for this parable. There's, 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 there's more under the hood. But for those who are outside, everything is in parables so that seeing they may see and not perceive and hearing they may hear and not understand so they may not turn back and be forgiven. And when he said to them, don't you grasp this parable? Aren't you getting the, the depth of this? And then how will you understand all the parables? Listen, he explains it. The sower sows the word. Those are the ones beside the road where the word is sown. Now, whenever they hear Satan comes quickly, that's the bird, right? Comes quickly and takes away the word that has been sown in them. These are the ones sown on rocky ground, right? When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy and they have no root in themselves, but last only a short while. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They have heard the word, but the worries of the world, the seduction of wealth, and the desires for other things enter in and what? choke the word and it becomes unfruitful and those are the ones sown on the good soil well they hear the word they accept it and produce fruit 30 60 and 100 fold so what jesus is saying is listen the word is sown now who is who is responsible who is the sower it's God, right? It's Jesus. We know this. So he's planting these seeds. And the first one he describes is when these seeds, this word is, is given, it's planted on the road. Some receive it like that. And so these seeds are, are, are on the road. And what does it say? He says, these birds just see it. And it's like, lunch, yes. And swoop down and instantaneously take the seed. Have you ever had God's, have you ever said this prayer, God, why don't you listen to me? Why don't you answer my prayers? Why don't you talk to me? Give me something, some vision. And God's like, I'm trying to give it to you, but, but you just keep letting it come on the, on the road and it's stolen. There's no time for it to, 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 to be planted, for it to, to, to yield any fruit. And then he says, the next soil that we see is these rocks, right? And the seeds drop down within some of the rocks and might find some good soil and it might go in a little deep, right? And, and the fruit, the, the, the plant begins to grow up and you see fruit right away, but then because it doesn't have much root, the sun scorches it, right? For some of us, our, our, our soil is like the rocks. And God speaks, he gives a word, he, he, gives, uh, he sets it up for a stage and, and you're sitting there and, 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 and your soil's not deep. And so it begins to grow quickly 
and you, you, you have a moment of joy, a season of yes, but as soon as the tribulation, as soon as, as the hardship comes, the winds and the waves, it dies and the seed is gone. And then he says, there's these thorns and the thorns, he says, they drop down in there and they're able to sometimes get deep into the soil and it begins to grow at a healthy place, but once it hits the thorns, the thorns begin to choke out the most powerful thing in the universe, the word of God. And he speaks to you and it says the cares of the, wor the world, the, the worries of wealth, these things begin to choke. Do you know when something's choked, it's not in, like a quick thing, is it? It's a slow thing, and that thing might see a slow death in our life. That vision he gave you, that word he gave you, and then it dies. He said, but then there's some that is healthy fruit, and it's planted deep in the, or healthy soil. It's planted deep, and it comes up, and we see a lot of fruits, 30, 60, 100 fold. Now, this is at the root. Do you see how this is a foundational parable? how this opens up other parables. But this is at the very core as, as what we see happening, all right? Is at first, God has given us the word, he's spoken, but because of whatever soil, remember, our responsibility is not the seed. That's God's responsibility. And, and the seed contains the miracle. The seed contains the, all the good stuff, doesn't it? The magic, if you will. What are we responsible for? All we're responsible for is the soil. How's your soil? Is it good? Is it rocky? Is it so hard right now that nothing would get through and it's just stolen before it's even penetrated your heart? You see, this wasn't, this wasn't new for, for uh, the many people throughout the narrative of the scriptures. Abram, let me show you this map here. This is so cool. Uh, this is uh, a, a picture of the Middle East. And you may recognize it. Jerusalem here. Africa would be down here. You have Asia and Europe would be up here. You say, well, what's the green area here? The green area uh, represents uh, vegetation. It represents where life is, growth is, right? Um, now, how many of you know that's a good place to live? <laughs> That's a good place to you know, pitch your tent to say, this is gonna be home, right? It's to plant it there. And Abram actually grew up in that. He grew up up here in Mesopotamia. Now, Mesopotamia, the reason it's so green up here is because their water source, if you can see, is two rivers. And how many of you know a reliable source of water is a river, <laughs> right? It rarely will move. It hopefully rarely dries up. So it's a good source. Now, this is important because in these early days, you have to remember that high on the agenda of needs was water, right? And light or sun. Why was this important? Because how you survive is all based on how your plants grow, on the vegetation there, right? How your family's gonna eat depends on that. Now, many would see this and say, they go, well, this is out of our control, and so this is why we pray to the gods, right? The god of the sun, the god of, of water. 
And, and the thing is, is Abram grew up in an area where that was stable. That was never a concern for them. But then one day, God calls Abram down to Canaan here. And he says, Abram, this land right here is going to be your land. This is the promised land. And I'm going to give this to you. And your, your people are going to multiply. They're going to be like a royal priesthood. They will be uh, the, the, the megaphone to the world to show what real living is. And, and Abram hears this. And he goes, that's awesome. Now notice Canaan is in, in a good land, isn't it? Right? But unlike Mesopotamia and unlike Egypt down here, which is... Uh, fed by the Nile River, the only reason this has vegetation is not because of a river, but it's there because of the rain. And as you can predict, rain is a little bit more unpredictable, isn't it? And when Abram's given the promise of the promised land in Genesis chapter 12, it says that there is a severe drought. Not just that, but there were actually people in the land. Canaanites were already in the land. And so Moses, or, uh, Abram stares out at this promise, okay, this is my land, but um, there's no water here, and there's people here. Um, logic would say, God, we're going to hit pause on this. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna change route. We're going to go with plan B. And so what he does is he ends up coming down into Egypt, and it's a mess down there. And he realizes, listen to this, he realizes this. That by doing this, he skirted off a lesson that God wanted to show him about trust. Because in Canaan, Abram would have to trust God for the, for the water more than he would in Egypt. And he learned this lesson. Okay, not by sight, not by what I see. I have to walk by faith. Now, can you be scared and have faith? Can you be anxious and have faith? Yes, absolutely. Because faith isn't how you feel. Faith is, faith is stepping out of the boat, right? And this is what Abram learns. How do we know this? Because when he comes back, he's with his, uh, his uh, family, Lot. You remember Lot and that whole. And he says, uh, Lot, which land do you want when he comes back up to Canaan? And Lot says, I'll take the nice land that looks good over there, Sodom and Gomorrah. Hint, it's not a great place. <laughs> Abram does something unique. He learns his lesson. He goes, I'll plant myself right here in the promise. And even though it may be a drought, I know that I have to trust in God. Later on, we would see this sprout into something amazing in his faith. Uh, not too long later, God says, your people are going to be, they're going to number the, the stars in the sky. It's a big thing. He didn't even give them a kid though yet. And so Abram finally has one kid. And what does God do? In one part in the story, he says, Abram, I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want you to go sacrifice him. So, I'm sorry, What? <laughs> I heard that wrong. Reception was bad. You said sacrifice my only son. This doesn't make sense. <laughs> uh, this isn't how you, how are we going to build a mighty people if I'm killing off all my kids, God? How does this logically work? I just need you to go do it. 
Now here's how we know that Abram grew tremendously in his faith. It's because when he packs his son up and he packs all the things for the sacrifice, he tells his servant one thing. Anyone know? He looks back and he says, we'll be back. Did you ever catch that? He says, we'll be back. Not I'll be back. He knew, he knew somehow, somehow or another, I don't know how to explain it. Even if God, I somehow kill him, you're gonna even bring him back to life. I don't know how it is, God, how it's gonna work out. I just trust you. I trust you. And that trust gives him the faith to step out of the boat, if you will. And God rewards that. He sees that and he honors them with this. It's this lesson where God is setting up, right? Just like in creation, he's setting the scene for me and you to have an opportunity to step into a miracle by using our faith, by being obedient, right? So Abram ends up growing his clan. They're, they're growing by the thousands and they end up being enslaved. They, they, they leave Egypt. God rescues them, right? And they're wandering kind of in the desert. They're waiting kind of for home. And, and, and they're kind of going through these trials as you read in the Old Testament. It's, it's kind of crazy. And sometimes God's mad and sometimes God's happy. And, and, and the people of God are finally go, Moses, you've got to help us. We can't. We can't figure him out. <laughs> he's mad sometimes. Uh, he's happy other times. Like, we don't know how or why he does. Can we get a list of something here? Can we get some help at all? And God says, okay, all right, I'll help you. And so he gives them, right, two tablets. And what we know as the 10 what? Commandments. Yeah, commandments. <laughs> and, and this is what he does. He says, out of these 10, out of these 10 ways to live, I'm gonna prescribe to you the best way to live this life. And out of those 10 commandments, God actually gives an instruction for 613 further commandments that take these commandments even further. Does this make sense? And then the Jewish rabbis take that even further by adding even more rules, by more laws. Now, how many of you know in Colorado, there are about 20,000 laws that relate to firearms? How many of you know that? Over 20,000, I find that shocking. Now, how many here can quote all 20,000? Probably not, right? But how many of you here can give the general idea of what the gun laws contain? Don't kill people, right? I mean, if you boil it all down, be wise, don't shoot people, okay? That's when you boil it down to its very essence. Now, when you take these thousands of rules and you boil it down to the 613, then you boil that down to the 10 commandments. Then you look even further and you notice, you might ask the question, well, why did God give two tablets? Why not just one tablet? 
He could have done it. He could have fit it all on there. Why not three tablets? Because two tablets was there for a reason. There had to have been a purpose. And if you look at the Ten Commandments, you can find that the first five commandments deal with our relationships that are vertical. Our relationship with God our relationship with our parents, these people in authority. And so you have the first non-negotiable, really. When you boil all of these down, you get down to one of the things that just says, it's about this. It's all about this, preserving this, protecting this, feeding this. And then the next five commandments you see really deal with the horizontal, with how we deal with others. This is the other non-negotiable, and we're gonna dig into that next week. I'm really excited about that. But this first one, it's how we deal with this. And, and it's, it determines how faithful we're gonna be to step out of the boat, how committed to say yes. Would you put on the purple shirt? This is interesting. Now, when he gets the rules, you might think this is, this is a little bit of um, restrictive. You might say, man, how do you, like, now there's all these rules. You, you misunderstand. This was such a relief for the people of God. Finally, we, we can now know what is right, what is wrong, like, like what makes God happy, what displeases him. They were so happy about it. In fact, uh, one author, A.J. Jacobs, he wrote a book called uh, A Year of Living Biblically. And he's a non-believer, and he decided for one year to, to practice every law, all 613 commandments, and he wrote a book about his experience. It's really great if you're ever looking for a good read. But this is one of the points he comes out with about the, the, the instructions, the laws. He says, I thought religion, right, the law, would make me live with my head in the clouds, but as often as not, it grounds me in this world, it was grounding. It was, now I know the boundaries. Now I know how to live. But there was a problem. <laughs> because now that we can measure up, we see how much we come short. <laughs> now that we can measure up to what living life really is like, to live without sin, we look at it and we go, I'm, I don't do too good at this. We find how much we fall short just looking at the heart of the Ten Commandments even. We see how we fall short with that. How much that, that we see the relationship now between us and God becomes almost like this, doesn't it? You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. I'm not worthy. This is why Jesus came because he died on the cross to pay your sin and my sin. And this is what he did, okay? He tore the curtain that separated us and man. And now he becomes our intermediate. Do you see this? He becomes the, listen, when God looks at you, if you believe in Jesus, if you have confessed with your heart, that he is Lord, that when God looks at you, when you pray, when you ask for the insane miracle, when you talk with him, he doesn't see your failures. He doesn't see where you came up short. Why? Because he sees his son in your place. 
And he says, how you doing, son? <laughs> you look good. Yeah, Jake looks great today, doesn't he? <laughs> and some of you here today, you struggle with even, have you ever, have you ever been in, in the presence of someone who really knows how to pray? Like it almost feels offensive, doesn't it? <laughs> like what they're demanding, you're like, I don't know if you can talk that way to God, right? But it's what, this is what they know, it's not them. It's Jesus standing in place, asking on behalf of them. This is what makes this work. Because in order for us to live in truth and grace, you have to have truth. But truth in the law is not fully lived out without love. Law needs the love just like love needs the law. Does that make sense? You gotta have both. And now that we have the Holy Spirit, now we can live in that life. Now we can live with that. The curtain is broken and we have that availability. Now I wanna show you this. Look at, Jesus breaks this down even further. How many of you remember uh, the story of don't build your house on the sandy land, right? Don't build it too near the shore. It might look kind of nice, but you'll have to build it twice, so you'll have to build your house once more, right? This is the, I remember growing up singing that. And here's what I always remember from that. Maybe you relate to this is, um, Build your life on the rock, on Jesus. He's the solid rock. And if you build your life on anything else, um, it's like building it on the sand and it will just, it'll just fall. So build your life on something stable, the rock. And it makes sense, right? You're like, okay, yeah, build my life on this is a great Sunday school lesson. Except that's not what it means at all. What Jesus actually says is this, that when you listen to my words, when you hear that, when I set the scene and you do what I say, listen, when you do what I say, I'm gonna say it one more time. When you do, when you hear and you do, it's like building your house on a rock. But if you hear and don't do, then it's like building your house on the sand. An unstable wind Unstable ocean will, will topple it. And this comes back to our root here, doesn't it? How's your soil? When God speaks, is it able to be planted in good soil so that you can step out of the boat in faith? Does this make sense? All right, check this out. Because I, I love this story and it, and it fits so well. Matthew chapter 21, Haley, is what we're gonna look at. Matthew chapter 21, perfect. Um, check this out. <clears throat> we see this fleshed out here. Uh, Jesus is about to uh, enter Jerusalem and Passover, and he tells his disciples this. Now, as they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, excuse me, then Yeshua sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village before you. Right away, you'll find a donkey tied up and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the master needs them. And right away, he will send them. Now, I have all kinds of problem with this scripture, okay? Because can you imagine, Dan, if I said, Dan, can you go downtown on 17th Street? There's a Cadillac. And when you go down there, can you just get it? And if anyone asks you what you're doing, just tell them the Lord needs it. <laughs> How well do you think that's gonna be received? <laughs> that's weird, isn't it? 
He's like, go get a donkey. If anyone, if anyone says anything, just tell them, yeah, the Lord needs it. I'm sorry, what? You want me to steal something? <laughs> like this on the surface seems like the craziest, weirdest thing, doesn't it? What's God doing? He's saying, go get a donkey. He's testing him. He's saying, I'm setting the scene here. I'm setting the scene. I'm setting it up. And if you'll do this, you watch what will happen from it. And from there, we see Jesus use that donkey to ride through the town and everyone celebrate. Go get a donkey. When the soil's good, you can say yes and you can step out into that real easy. It's not very hard at all. Jesus at the beginning, he says, uh, we talked about Jesus giving this hard message and thousands leave. Thousands, it's like, church planting, you know, don't do 101, right? Like whatever you're teaching there, Jesus, avoid that one. He doesn't though, and, and he teaches this. And he's talking about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. And they're like, what is this? Like vampire diary? Like, this is weird. Like what's going, what's Jesus? And thousands leave. They just start bailing disciples, people that were following them. And finally the disciples, they don't even understand. They're like, man, I can't wrap my mind around this. And, and Jesus looks back at the 12 and, and he says, well, are you going to leave too? And Peter responds with the most profound statement. I think in the scriptures, and it should be our posture. I, I wanna show you, go ahead and bring this scripture up. We might have to get to the, <clears throat> yeah. So when many of the disciples heard this, they said, this is, this is a hard teaching, who can listen to it? But Yeshua knew his disciples were murmuring. So he said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the son of man going back up to the place where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life and the flesh is of no benefit. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and are life, yet some of you do not what? Trust. trust. Yeshua knew from the beginning who were the ones who did not trust as well as which ones would betray him. And then he told him this, for this reason, I've told you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. Now remember, this is the intermediate, right? People nowadays are, listen, they're saying, listen, you can just go straight to God. Okay, you can just go straight to him. I'm telling you, it doesn't work that way. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth and the life. There's no other option there. You have to go through Jesus. This idea that, that you can bypass that is, is false. You can throw darts all you want to the wall of God. Unless you have the gatekeeper, you're not getting in. Does that make sense? This is what he's, he's talking about. And so many of his disciples left and quit walking with them. So Yeshua said to the 12, well, you don't wanna leave also, do you? And here's Peter's response. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we've trusted and we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. He's, translation, God, I don't, quite understand what you're saying here. It doesn't fully make sense, but where else am I gonna go? You have the words of life. Many times I've been at your table and I've feasted and it is so good. So even though I don't understand, I'm gonna step out and I'm gonna obey and I'm gonna do this. Does this make sense? It's really incredible when we see this, when, especially when we see this lived out. So uh, I need a volunteer. I need a big guy, Jordan. Yeah, grab the mic right there too. 
I'm going to show you this. <clears throat> Give a hand for Jordan as he comes up here. You, you always get to be my guinea pig, don't you? I do, <laughs> I do, yes. Like you're just attracted to that. I don't know. Uh, um, okay, so I got two chairs here. Um, they're pretty much the same, right? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Um, here's what I want to do. Real simple. I want you to uh, pick a chair that you would sit in. Uh, most likely the, the black one. Uh, I'm a little big boned. So, uh, I'd probably say the black one. I like that. Say, say so, how come? How come? Because uh, it looks like it could support me better. Okay, that's, a good, yeah. that's an honest answer. That's a, that's a really good answer. But what if I told you, um, Jordan, it's my heart's desire, it is my will, it is what I want more than anything for you to sit in this chair? Does that change anything? Which chair would you choose? Uh, it's still the black one. Uh, sometimes, <laughs> but I really you, want you yeah, to. I'm I really... sure, and you might want me to fall too. So <laughs> you never know. The, yeah, I know. You could be an illustration. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. One more. One more. Okay. What if I told you, uh, Jordan? I've studied the science of how this was made. <laughs> And I can honestly tell you that this little chair will hold well over 300 pounds. Which chair would you choose now? I'm still going with the black one. I mean, me and, <laughs> me and science were never friends. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to stick with the black still one. Still going to? Okay. Yeah. Here's one, one last thing, man. One last thing. What if, what if I sat down in it first? Now. I didn't hear any creaks or anything. So. <laughs> Would you sit in that chair now? Yeah, I think, I think it'll hold me now. Yeah? Like, now that I saw that you sat in it. And... <laughs> I'm a big bone guy too, I, so I, yeah. I, that's why I, th I think I'd be okay then. <laughs> Go on, give him a hand, man. Thanks, Jordan. <laughs> maybe, maybe 40% of this generation wouldn't walk away wouldn't say they're a Christian and live this halfway life if people around them actually sat down and stepped out in their faith. Maybe it's not the science of it. Maybe even more than knowing it's God's will, maybe what some believers need now today is to see those around them that have faith step out of the boat and walk on water. Maybe more than stats and knowing how much it's God's heart, maybe seeing that will cause a generation to step out of the boat themselves. Can you imagine if we built a culture on this idea that God, whatever stage you're setting up here, whatever you're laying the ground for, I'm just gonna say yes. I'm gonna be obedient. And if you say wear a purple shirt, as goofy as that sounds, I'm gonna wear a purple shirt. If you say pack up your family and move here, I'm gonna pack up my family and I'm gonna go there because I don't wanna see my kids grow up in a world where they don't see faith lived out. You can have all the head knowledge. You can have all of the laws memorized and, 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 and attempted, but unless you step out of the boat, you're never gonna see the walking on water. Does this make sense?
David Kinneman, in his book, Lost You, closes with this statement I think is so powerful. Churches, organizations, and families. Who's that? Is that all of us, pretty much? <laughs> they owe this generation more. They should be treated as the intelligent, capable individuals they are. A generation with a God-given destiny. How do you know? They have a God-given destiny. Renewed commitment is required to rethink and realign disciple-making in this new context. Mosaic believers, they need better, deeper relationships with what? Other adult Christians. They require a more holistic understanding of their vocation and calling in life. How their faith influences what they do with their lives, not on just Sunday, but from Monday through Saturday. And they also need help discerning Jesus' leading in their life, including greater commitment to knowing and living the truth of Scripture. We don't just need more information. We need to see people living it out, church. And it starts with me. And it starts with you. And it starts with our neighbors. It starts with the church. How's your soil? Is your soil good? If God were to plant a vision right now, today, would your soil be good enough to hear it and that develop and grow into what God wanted it to? Or is it rocky? Is it rough? Where do you start? I'd start there. How's your heart? And then what dream has God given you? What vision has he given you that's been dormant? that maybe you need to blow the dust off of. Maybe you felt, you know, that, dis, that who am I? You know, what am I, you know, how can I make a difference? You never know until you step out of the boat. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you're not a God that just set things in motion and turned and walked away, but you're a God that wants to draw near and God, one of the things that we do, we, don't, we realize it's not uh, us living up to, to this perfect stature that makes you happy, God. It's our heart. And, and you enable us to live in this way when the Spirit fills us up. And God, I pray today that we would just cement this in our heart and our mind, God, that when you speak, we will obey. And no matter what it looks like, what the circumstances Point two, it may be a severe drought in the land, but God, it don't matter. If you called us to this, we're gonna step out. Empower a generation, God, to, to be raised up, to live out this life so that those around us could see the light in the darkness. We love you and give you all the praise. In your name we pray, everyone said, amen. amen. And now Jubilee, may you be blessed. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May you this week receive the word and may your soil be good. And when it's good, may you see the fruit, the adventure come out of that. Church, be blessed. Uh, don't forget if you're uh, gonna be with us next week, uh, we need you to reserve your seat, jfc.org forward slash reserve. Uh, and then if you're new here, we want to make sure that we connect with you. jfc.org forward slash new. Let us know. We'd love to connect with you. Was this good? Did it connect? Good. All right. We we'll love you guys. We'll see you next week.